We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minora lit up Dan's menorah when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. There's a lot to talk about today. We're not even going to bore you or waste your time, though I know a lot of you appreciate it. So I wouldn't even say bore or time waste when I refer to going over what's been going on in our lives because quite honestly we haven't had too much anyway since the last time we recorded I've been literally working every hour of every day between Giants coverage and my main job at CBS I will say this though we won't have time to talk about it tonight so maybe on a future pod but me and Nick competed in a startup auction auction style draft dynasty league last night incredibly fun I've decided that there is nothing more fun in the fantasy football sphere than a auction style startup dynasty league because values are insane you got to be drafting these guys for their careers it's not a keeper league once you draft them they're on your roster until you trade them or release them the only other players you can acquire from that point on are waiver wire guys or rookies from the rookie draft so it was a lot of fun nick had a team i had a team we can go over that another podcast when things slow down for now let's talk about the giants let's talk about everything that's going on nick first Let's start with Billy Price because the Giants yesterday traded for former first round draft pick from the Bengals, former Ohio State center slash guard. He played actually started at Ohio State, entered that program as a defensive player, immediately shifted over to the offensive line, played left guard and right guard during their championship 2014 roster, the Buckeyes. Then kind of found a home at center. He's played a little of both, mostly center at the NFL level. I know you had a chance to break down Billy Price's film. So let's start with just the breakdown. I have some specific questions to ask you after that regarding Price, Nick, and as it relates to the Giants for 2021. But for now, start by just breaking down what you saw on film, the strengths, 
the weaknesses, things of that nature, and how you think he can fit in Jason Garrett's power gap scheme. So Billy Price, he's a 25-year-old. He's going to be 26 in October. I like this acquisition, you know, and we love B.J. Hill here on this podcast, and the Giants also surrendered a conditional seventh-round pick. But we knew that B.J. Hill probably wasn't going to have a big role or at least just behind Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence, it was going to be a little bit more limited of a role than than someone of his skill set may demand in another situation. I think overall, B.J. Hill's probably a better player than Billy Price, but Billy Price is an offensive lineman, which there is a much higher demand for the offensive line, and there's really no question about that. So in terms of his skill set, I went through a lot of his film, and granted, it wasn't all 22, Dan, which is entirely too unfortunate but i dove into his 2020 tape i think there's a little bit of context we should probably bring up about price he tore his pec at the combine back in 2017 and he was able to return just as training camp was ending and preseason was kind of coming into its own and then in week two he suffered a foot injury and then the next year he played through plantar fasciitis and a back injury. So he's kind of been dinged up a lot of his career, but this is a former first round pick. And what I've seen is somebody who's probably better as a run blocker than a pass blocker, somebody who played with good leverage, really strong at the point of attack. He's not great from an athletic standpoint and measurably he he has shorter arms. His hands are, I think, nine and three quarters of an inch. But once he gets his hands in there and uses that grip strength, he kind of gets a hold of you and, and is he's pretty good at dictating reps from the beginning of the play. But what I saw from pass protection standpoints, when if he didn't get his hands on you and defenders were able to kind of reduce the surface area of their chest, keep their chest clean by using swipes, double swipes, violent chops, whichever hand usage that the defender decided to employ, especially when the defender was working towards the half man, towards the outside or inside shoulder at either guard or center. There was a lot of inconsistency with Billy Price. If he wasn't able to get his hands on you from the beginning of the snap, especially when people were attacking to the sides, one shoulder. Granted, I do believe he got some. He got kind of creative when he would lose early on in reps. I don't think he was as bad as Shane Lemieux was in this department. And I also have heard so many good things about Billy Price and his ability in training camp this year. Like he was progressing pretty positively. So it was a little bit surprising that the Bengals traded him away. But the Giants may be the beneficiary of that. I think there's a player who's athletically limited, but definitely a solid option. And uh, I think a good acquisition at this point to get somebody who has a little bit more upside than I expected to find at this part of the season. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by this move, Nick. I think from my standpoint, it's clear with what you said is spot on. B.J. Hill is a better player than Price, and he's worked out better since joining the NFL, even though he wasn't drafted as highly. But at the same time, the Giants traded from a position of depth that they have on the defensive line, as evidenced today, and we'll get into this in a bit, by their decision to keep Raymond Johnson, who I did say would make my 53-man. I'm happy to see he did. I think him making the roster definitely gave them some added feeling that they can make a trade for somebody like Hill. Now, Hill is somebody who I think has been unbelievably underrated since joining the Giants. If you watch him on film, he is winning those battles in the trenches one-on-one more often than not. Hasn't gotten many reps, but maybe that's a sign that he just wasn't a great fit for this defense. And again, you're trading a position of strength and a position where 
scarcity is not limited around, you know, there is no scarcity in the interior defensive line. It might be the most, it might be the position most rich with talent in the NFL after wide receiver. And you're trading it for a position that doesn't have much talent to go around. Like you're not going to trade for many first former first round picks right now that aren't unless they're total busts, like in the Greg Robinson range. And Billy Price has not been a total bust. If you listen to guys like Brandon Thorne, who did a nice breakdown of this, and uh, I forgot who else it was. Somebody else did a very nice breakdown of this as well. But Thorne basically said, listen, he had better tape than expect than, than it seems like people are leading on from the 2020 season. And he's shown and carried that improvement over to the 2021 preseason. And what I love that he said is that progression. We've said, how many times have we said this on the podcast, Nick? Progression in the NFL is not linear. Players are not just on some path that goes straight up or straight down. Players can go in many directions. We've seen this with Will Hernandez. We've also seen this with plenty of other examples. And what I like to see is the steady drumbeat, as I call it. So he made improvements just because he was not a great player early in his career as he went through plantar fasciitis, as he went through the shoulder injuries. He made improvements and then carried those improvements over to this preseason. Now, why would the Bengals, a team that's been offensive line needy, trade him? It could be a lot of things. It could be they wanted to upgrade a defensive line where they lost their best player from last season in Carl Lawson. It could be that they love the tape they saw on Hill and they think they can unlock him in their system in more of a traditional three-tech role. I don't know exactly why, but I think those things played a big factor in this deal for them, quite honestly, and that they didn't pick up Price's option. So maybe they don't just simply don't view him as a long-term fit for them. Yeah, and I found it pretty interesting that the Bengals did end up parting ways with a guy like Billy Price, because Trey Hopkins, who ended up kind of stealing the job from Price towards ACL at the end of the season last year, and I'm not 100% certain how ready he will be by week one. So I was a little surprised to see the Bengals kind of ship a guy who seemed like he was kind of putting it together to the New York Giants. But as I said earlier, let's hope we're the beneficiaries of this. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And the other guy was Duke Manyweather, who, you know, you got to take some of his breakdowns with a grain of salt because he does, you know, work with a lot of these players. So he's invested from that standpoint, maybe not the most unbiased of sources. And I'm not trying to say anything bad. I love his analysis, but he did do a film review and I watched it. And, you know, Price has good power at the point of attack. That's what stands out the most to me, Nick. You mentioned it. It's also what stood out when he was coming into the NFL. That's what he was coming from Ohio State, a power guy. And maybe that makes him a really excellent potential fit for this power gap scheme with the Giants. I mean, in 2017, he was the Remington Award winner, the best center in the nation. That's not too long ago, you know? It's only four seasons ago he's had the torn pec that could have affected his play. He's had the plantar fasciitis that we talked about, the shoulder issues. I mean, a healthy Billy Price at least has that in him, that former Remington Award winner. Kind of what we saw, you know, from the Cowboys last year when they brought in Tyler Biadish, who I think, in my mind, Billy Price, if he reaches the ceiling, can kind of give an impact similar to what Biadish has given the Cowboys already. Obviously, Biadish is a bit of a younger player, maybe has more of a ceiling at this point in their respective careers. But I love this move because I love that there is this kind of player in him. And I'll ask you this, Nick, now. Regarding Billy Price, where do you think he slots in now? Do you think he slots in as somebody who compete to be a center and then they maybe kick over gates to, let's say, right tackle or left guard? And I throw in right tackle as a caveat because it's definitely at least somewhat in play. Or is he somebody who competes for left guard because he has played that role in the past? Or is he somebody you see right now as just a pure depth piece? 
right now, I don't want to just say he's a pure depth piece because that kind of uh, suggests that he's not going to start at some point. But I do believe he will start as a backup right now. I think their Giants, if Shane Lemieux is all well and healthy, are going to roll out the offensive line that they expect with Matt Parrott on the right side, Andrew Thomas at left tackle, and then left guard being Shane Lemieux, center Nick Gates, and then right guard being Will Hernandez. But I think if the struggles persist with players like Shane Lemieux or if Will Hernandez continues to have incredibly inconsistent play, which we've seen in past years, not as much in the preseason, the limited snaps that we got to see, then I think Billy Price's name could get floated out there. And also, I mean, I'm not going to rule out, and I don't think it's uh, the first option for the Giants, but I would, would I guess, kind of point to the fact that Nick Gates has that tackle experience, like you said. I, I wouldn't rule out the fact that he could kick out to right tackle if Pear and Solder absolutely flounder. Now, I don't expect this to happen in week one or two, but if week three and four happen and there are just drive-killing sacks and mistakes given up by Matt Pear and Nate Solder doesn't look like he's going to be the answer either, I wouldn't rule that out. But I think the acquisition of Billy Price allows you to have many different options where you can mix mix and match your versatile offensive lineman. And I think that's just an that's just an amazing thing for the Giants at this moment. That's why I think this acquisition was a great acquisition by Dave Gettleman and this regime albeit at this point you don't really want to be trading for guys who don't know your system. So I, that's another caveat to that entire thing. And that was my whole thing because I think the Giants did the best with the hand that they're currently dealt. Obviously, they don't want to be in the position that they're in right now with the offensive line, but everybody saw it. You know, Gettleman, Mara, the fans, you and me. What we saw last Sunday or a few days ago from that offensive line in the dress, you know, the regular season dress rehearsal, it was completely unacceptable. With the exception of a two minute drill where, you know, it's a lot easier in my mind to get the ball out and to kind of block. The Giants could not block, and it looked a lot like or worse what we saw last season where they allowed the second most pressure in the NFL behind only the New York Jets. And so it was panic time, you know, and not panic, but I mean, it was do or die time. They needed to make high upside swings like this one and the one we'll get to next. And so I like it for that reason. My guess would be that we're going to see something very similar to what we saw last year. Despite the change in offensive line coach, I think we will be seeing a lot of rotations again this season from the offensive line, specifically on the interior, but maybe it spills out to the exterior with those tackles, specifically on the right side, as you mentioned. Maybe it turns into Gates going there. I think the goal is to keep Gates at center, but I could totally see a rotation with the Mew and the player we're going to get to next, Bredesen, or with potentially Gates kicking over to a different spot and Price sitting in at center, Price stepping in at guard. I think we'll see it. I mean, Judge even said two days ago he's not afraid to rotate his linemen. I know it's unorthodox. Like The Giants are basically the only or maybe one of the only. I don't know. I didn't look over look up the rotations on the offensive line of all 32 teams, but I can't remember too many other teams doing what the Giants did last year with that heavy, heavy offensive line rotation, but I think they're going to do it again. That would be my best guess right now. Yeah, and that gives them options, and it's a much better option than what they had, Dan, during the last preseason game when you have guys like Ted Larson and Kenny Wiggins as players that you have to rely upon if Shane Lemieux's knee isn't healthy. So getting Billy Price, Ben Bredesen, we're going to get into, I think that's a you put it perfectly. It's good for the hand that they were cur- they were currently dealt. I think they definitely improved the offensive line position. And I mean, Billy Price, he's somebody who has experience in the gap power. He has experience in zone. If you go back to college when he was at Ohio State, I mean, he had great pro football focus grades, 
extensive uh, snaps taken in power gap system from 2014 and 2015. And then it kind of shifted a little bit more to zone. And he handled both of those responsibilities really, really well at Ohio State. And then he comes over to the NFL. He has 127 gap power snaps to 284 zone snaps. But I believe just from a little bit of film that I was able to get my eyes on from Billy Price, there were some times where he was kicking out into space and doing a good job locating defenders who are much smaller than him, but much more athletic than he than he is as well. So that's something that we saw the Giants use a lot last year with Jason Garrett. I mean, how many times did we see Nick Gates in space just absolutely steamrolling some poor like 195-pound cornerback? It happened quite often, and I think Billy Price has the ability to do that as well, which is going to be important in this system. And if he's not pulling, he's somebody who can generate enough power through his base and through his hips to down block, has a lot of lower leg drive, can dip his center of gravity and drive through opponents. One thing I did see sometimes in pass protection is he gets a little bit undisciplined and leans just a little bit too much. I saw that a little bit through his 2020 film. He leans and punches, kind of overextending at the hip and exposing himself to, say, a rip move to the outside or a swim club swim over the top. I, I saw a little things like that I don't think it was overly consistent with every block it happened more I think towards the end of games now I watched the Philadelphia game and that game was the thrilling tie that ended up happening between the Eagles and the Bengals where Doug Peterson decided not to go for it towards the end of the game and ate the tie took a lot of crap for that it wasn't the only time that Doug Peterson took crap for decisions that he made during the 2020 season but I will say that in that game, Fletcher Cox, one of the better defensive linemen in the league, was attacking Billy Price a lot in overtime and winning a lot. So maybe fatigue played into that. Also, Fletcher Cox is just a really, really quality defensive type of player. I think he may struggle against those types of players, or at least he did in that one instance. It's something to watch. But uh, if he could clean up, which he could, the technical side of leaning and then punching and overextending yourself and leaving yourself susceptible to double moves, he would be better for it. Yep. You nailed it, Nick. And I'm excited about the acquisition. I really am. I know we had to lose Hill along the way, who we both probably like more than consensus. But this is the type of thing you want to see. Trading a position. Like I said, that's not scarce in the NFL. There's talent loaded throughout it. You saw it with Raymond Johnson coming up this offseason. You saw it with Austin Johnson being able to, you know, they signed a former second-round pick last season. He's going to be part of the rotation this year. And that's just not the case on the offensive line. You're usually going to have to cycle through the Ted Larsons of the NFL, the Kenny Wiggins of the NFL, like we saw this offseason, you know, the Chad Slades, even the Jonathan Harrison. A lot of people got excited about Jonathan Harrison. Well, guess what? As I said the last two podcasts, I remember Jonathan Harrison on the Jets. He was an awful player, one of the worst centers, if not the worst center in the NFL against NFL caliber starting level defensive linemen. So I was not mad when they cut him today, and I thought it basically should have happened. He was only on the roster in my mind because the Giants are so poorly constructed on their offensive line. I doubt Harrison gets a job anywhere in my mind. I don't think he'll be signed to any 53-man roster. And so I think there's a massive upgrade going from Harrison to a player like Billy Price, even if Price is just the player he is or has shown, you know, recently with the little progression he's made. If he doesn't become that Remington style, you know, award winner level type player, he's still a massive upgrade to me. So anytime you can upgrade the offensive line, especially an offensive line that was one of the three worst in the NFL last year and 
as of Sunday, was projecting, in my mind, like potentially the worst in the NFL. It's a good thing. Unfortunately, this one and the trade we get to next doesn't really solve any of their tackle problems, and tackle could ultimately be what derails this offensive line, but we'll get to that later and down the line. In the meantime, let's talk about the other trade the Giants made this one today when we're recording on Tuesday evening. But before we get to that second trade, Nick, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Nick, let's get into the other trade the Giants made. I think this one we're even more excited about, even though they did give up some decent draft capital, to be honest. The Giants traded their fourth round pick, which, let's face it, could be a decent pick. It could be in the early hundreds, (laughs) if not hundreds, if we're just being honest with the situation with where this team has been the past three seasons under Gettleman. For Ben Bredesen, a player who we both really liked, we're going to get to in a minute, interior offensive lineman Adam Michigan, Kansas City's fifth round pick. So that should be probably, I would say, at least 50, maybe 60, 70 ish picks after the Giants. Probably not 70 ish, but with all the supplemental picks that come up in the fourth round, there'll probably be a dozen supplemental draft picks in the fourth round. And considering the Chiefs are, in my mind, most likely to be picking in the final four picks of the fifth round, it's a big drop, but it's okay. And a 2023 seventh. They just keep collecting sevenths and then trading them. There's like, they've just been, they've traded for a couple sevens. They've traded back a couple sevens. The Giants have actually done a decent job locating talent with their sevens. So I'll take a seven here. But the key piece here is move 50, 60 spots down in the draft, but get Ben Bredesen, Ben Bredesen, sorry, who... By the way, what I love the most potentially about this Ben Bredesen trade, before we get into the player, and I want to hear your thoughts on him, is that Ben Bredesen will now be under contract. And I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but I think I am. He will be under contract now through 2023 on that cheap rookie contract because he was a later round pick. So on that cheap rookie contract, they could get a potential steal here if he ends up being an excellent fit for the power gap system, which seemingly is exactly what he should be fitting in. So Nick, Dive right into it now. What are your thoughts on the trade overall, the compensation, and then the player, Ben Bredesen? 
So I haven't gotten to dive into Ben Bredesen's tape since he was coming out of Michigan in 2020, where he was a fourth round pick by the Ravens, but I liked him coming out of Michigan. He was a left guard. I remember him down at the senior bowl, 23 years old. And from what I remember, man, he was a player who was more suited for that power gap system, a player who does bring a lot of power at the point of attack, similar to Billy Price, somebody who plays with pretty good leverage for a player that's six foot five, 320 pounds. And I checked all his mock draftable and everything. And he's actually in the first percentile for uh, arm length. It's sub 32 inch arm. So that's not an ideal situation, but it's not as big of a deal when you're playing guard as it is when you're playing tackle, when you're out on an island by yourself. But I did love how Bredesen was able to use his hands, fit his hands inside, kind of drive through his hips, get a like I said, got low for a guy who was six foot five. Granted, he is six foot five, so his pad level tends to be a little bit higher. So he may struggle against like six foot nose tackles, one shades, and three techniques and things like that. And he didn't really play that much in 2020. He was somebody who was in on the Ravens big personnel package as a tight end. So there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of film of Ben Bredesen from the NFL, but if you just go back to those college tapes, you can see the power, you can see the awareness, picking up stunts, the mental processing that he was able to kind of bring, and just the consistency. He was a pretty consistent player at Michigan, and that's one reason why someone who's not long and not really athletically gifted ends up still being an early day three pick. It's because he's somebody who is very, very consistent, very smart, strong at the point of attack, two-time captain, uses his hands well, and does all of the little things at a technically sound level, in a technically sound way, I guess I should say. And that's kind of was my takeaways from Ben Bredesen from me watching him back in 2020, but I haven't seen him really since then. But I am excited about this acquisition because, again, I do believe he's somebody who played a lot at left guard extensively in uh, at the University of Michigan, but he's still a player that that I think could probably slide to right guard if you need him to. I just think it also gives the Giants a lot more options. And as we said before, that's what the Giants need along this offensive line right now, Dan, is options. You nailed it, Nick. And the good thing about this is that Bredesen, like I said, is under contract to 2023. And you just mentioned could slide over to the right side if need be. Well, what does that tell me? It tells me the Giants are in less of a panic situation next offseason when Will Hernandez hits free agency. If Will Hernandez plays well this year, he might command a much bigger contract than the Giants can afford to give him. Or then, quite frankly, the Giants want to give him when he's basically coming off what would be two seasons of good tape and two seasons of awful tape in between those in his four-year rookie deal. And now they won't be in such a panic position in my mind. And that's why this move to me is even better than the price move because price is probably one and done with the Giants. Maybe not. We'll see. But at worst case, I think he provides them a much better depth piece than Jonathan Harrison ever could. But with Bredesen, he's under contract cheap for so long that if he's the player that he was at Michigan, and I got to see him a lot at Michigan, that's part of the reason I was so excited about him coming out. To me, the way I see it, Nick, he's just like a better version, a rich man's version of Shane Lemieux. That's basically <laughs> what I see with Bredesen. A rich man's where they have similar limitations, and yet he does things a lot better than Shane Lemieux does. And to me, in my mind, now it's going to be, I'll get to this next question for you, and it might not be, I guess, a question if Lemieux is more hurt than we think, and that's what I want to get into. But in my mind, a healthy Lemieux, a healthy Bredesen, once Bredesen gets up to speed in this system, he's a better player now for the Giants. He's going to be a better player in 10 weeks when he gets the communication down with Andrew Thomas and Nick Gates alongside him for the Giants. He's going to be a best, better player in two years, in three years. I don't really think there's too much of a trajectory where Shane Lemieux is going to be a better player than Bredesen. That goes back to my thoughts on Lemieux, which are, 
I don't know how correctable his issues in pass protection are. I think a lot of it is athleticism-based, and that's a big reason why he fell to the fifth round. Some people just didn't, some evaluators just clearly didn't think that technique or that working on his craft is going to fix his specific issues in pass pro. And so I'm ready to see it, man. I'm ready to see him get up to speed and take that left guard job and go running with it. I'm ready to see that as well if Shane Lemieux continues to prove that he's unreliable. I think those those issues, they, they can be uh, corrected, Dan. Uh, now, I do believe a lot of them stem from the athletic limitations that Shane Lemieux has. And I do believe even players like Ben Bredesen and Billy Price have some athletic limitations as well. But like we've said a lot, Dan, a lot of those issues with Shane Lemieux were, was his inability to win in the beginning of the rep. And I think some of that, just getting adjusted to the speed of the NFL, I don't want to totally write off the fact that he can't develop in that area. But if he proves that he couldn't and he struggles, which is entirely possible, I'm fully ready for Ben Bredesen to step in as well to that left guard position. And both Ben Bredesen and Billy Price, they're, they're guys who are better in the phone booth. They're better in line. They're better when they have players around them. But they're both players that, I mean, if you put all three of them in a basket with Shane Lemieux, I mean, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that Bredesen or Price are the better have better projections than a player like Shane Lemieux. So I think it's interesting. I think Lemieux, if he's healthy, is going to get that first crack at it. But I would not be surprised, as we said earlier, man, that either of these two, Price or Bredesen, kind of rise to the occasion and end up playing significant snaps for the Giants in 2020. And for Bredesen's case, 2020 or 2021 and beyond. Because like you said, man, under contract, rookie deal, I think that's a great get right there. Yeah, and I don't want to make it seem like I don't think Lemieux can improve on those things. It's definitely possible. Pretty much every single player in the NFL can improve uh, on what they show. I just think it's a little bit easier for a player to improve on their, you know, miscues if they have the base level athleticism. And I'm not saying he doesn't have that, Lemieux. It's a good point you made. Like, a lot of his issues could just be he needed to get up to speed with what the NFL game is like. But that lower body flexibility, that lower body explosion into his stance and pass protection... It looked to be a problem over and over and over for him, despite a lot of reps. Like, he did get a whole lot of reps last year, Lemieux. And so it's not that I don't think he can get there. I want to make it clear. I just think that they have a better chance of getting there with a player like Bredesen in there, who, again, to me, is a better version. And like you said, all phone booth players, Lemieux, Bredesen, Price, all our phone booth players, and that's a good thing for once the Giants get past the Denver front and the Washington front, and I think they actually have six really difficult fronts to deal with on their early schedule, but once they get into the easier front portion of their schedule, they're going to be a run-first team. We're pretty clear with that. I mean, what we've seen in the preseason so far is that Garrett is running the same system. There's still a ton of stick routes. There's still a ton of these all curls. There's going to be random shots downfield and one-on-ones that we're going to get occasionally, typically on first and 10. But for the most part, it's going to be a run-first power-based offense. And I like the idea of Bredesen, potentially Price, even Lemieux to some extent, in the run game helping clear lanes out for Saquon Barkley. And potentially, if they're smart, for Kadarius Tony on end on uh, jet sweeps and end arounds and stuff like that. I do like these guys from that standpoint. I know what the Giants are trying to get. A physical identity on the offensive line specifically can help them in the run game. And so these are just pieces I think that can get them there. 
and guys who can pull as well. Like none of these guys are exceptional athletes and we've laid that out, but all of them can unlock their hips and pull. Even Shane Lemieux, who we don't feel like is a player that has great short area quickness and lateral ability kind of when he's square up in pass protection, but he has shown the ability to kind of take that bucket step and pull and locate the end man on the line of scrimmage on a lot of those counter type runs. And from what I've seen from Billy Price, it's something that he's able to do. And what I saw from Ben Bredesen in college, he was able to do that as well. So I think that's important to the Giants for this power gap system. And I think uh, all three of them can do it. And that all three, it's, I think it's going to come down, Dan, to whoever, and it's, this isn't rocket science, whoever is the most consistent in pass protection. Now, I can't really weigh in and give you a name out of the three on who's going to be the most consistent in 2021. But if Shane Lemieux doesn't display that and show that growth, I mean, it may be a short season for him. I think that's within the realm of possibility for uh, Shane Lemieux's outcomes, especially with him dealing with an injury. Yeah, I think that's a great reality-based check that, you know, a lot of, I don't know if people, I guess I would say, just aren't willing to accept. But this is a former fifth-round pick. This is a player who was arguably the worst pass-protecting guard in the NFL last year. Let's get back down to earth. Those are replaceable-type players. But my thing here, Nick, and I'm going to get to you in a second, is do you think it's possible Shane Lemieux is a lot more injured than people think right now because the Giants are so, so, like, secretive with the injuries? I mean, we don't have an ounce of information on what's going on with Kadarius Tony right now. We don't have an ounce of information on why what seemed like a minor Kenny Galladay hamstring injury has turned into almost a month of missed time and missed reps with Daniel Jones. We don't have an ounce of information on pretty much, pretty much anything. Saquon Barkley at this point is not even a lock to play week one. Today, Joe Judge said, we'll see this week. There is no info giving out about these injuries. So I'm starting to believe, heard a little bit of rumblings on it, that Shane Lemieux might be a lot more injured than we expect. And I think that could lead to Shane Lemieux on short-term injured reserve to start the season. And I'll say this, if he is on short-term IR to start the season, Bed Bredesen steps right in. Bredesen could run away with the job. Like If Bredesen plays all right in pass production and offers what they see from Lemieux in the run game, I don't think he's giving that job back to Lemieux when Lemieux gets healthy. It's an astute point, to be honest, Dan. It really is. And it could happen because... Obviously, with the 53-man roster, Shane Lemieux has to make the 53-man roster, and then the Giants have the ability to put him on the IR, opening up another roster spot. But he has to obviously make that roster first. And I don't think it's impossible to assume, or just ridiculous, I should say, to assume that that could be the course of action for the Giants, just because we don't really know what's going on with his knee. It could just be that Joe Judge wanted to give him rest and let him rehab the two weeks So he's ready for week one, but it could be more serious. I mean, this injury happened in the very beginning parts of camp. I don't even know how up the speed Shane Lemieux is um, with the off. Well, not necessarily with the offense, but athletically. And if he's in good enough shape, maybe that knee has kind of held back his conditioning as well. I think there's a lot of things to consider right now with Shane Lemieux's health, just because we don't have the full information as of this moment. Yep, exactly. And we'll find out more about that as we go, but. As of now, at least, there's a lot of moving parts on this offensive line. There's also going to be a lot of moving parts on this 53-man roster, which we're going to get to a breakdown in a second. My guess, Nick, and this one I feel confident about, is that by the time this podcast is released, the roster will be looked different than even what we record today. So people will have to just understand that it's a fluid roster move. Like you said, there's going to be a ton of those types of moves where you get a guy on this initial roster that eventually hits IR and then opens up a spot for another player. I even saw today, you know, they don't have, who was it, Kreider on the initial one, and he'll be moved back. So again, there's going to be a lot of tricks and games that the Giants are smartly playing. All teams are playing these, but 
kudos to the Giants as well for taking advantage of the NFL's rules there. But before we get to the 53-man roster breakdown, I wanted to talk a little bit about the preseason game, now that we've had some time to digest it, seen the breakdowns from Mark Schofield, buddy of the show, who did an excellent film breakdown of Daniel Jones and his reps on Big Blue View. Also, Brian Baldinger did a breakdown of the Giants offense and Andrew Thomas specifically, who really struggled in pass production. And also Daniel Jones, who missed a wide open throw that he has to hit to Devontae Booker. Obviously, Schofield's breakdown also showed what we mentioned earlier, Nick, which is this offense, man, it looks a lot like the same we saw from Garrett last year with a ton of crap to the sticks, a ton of curls, ton of positions, you know, a ton of tough spots for a quarterback if the defensive backs are sitting on those routes. So I wanted to get your take on all of that before I bring up one final thing. So first, I want to get you there, and then I want to bring up something I saw when I went back and watched the game with Daniel Jones that I was curious to get your take on. But first, let's start with Schofield's breakdown of Jones. Did you get a chance to read that, and what was your reaction? Yeah, I watched the Schofield video, and it, it's not surprising to me. I mean, as we brought up in the last podcast going or two podcasts ago going over that Patriots loss, Daniel Jones had some good plays. He had some good throws. Schofield kind of talked a lot about the throw to Darius Slayton, how that was well-timed, how it was thrown with anticipation in the right spot. Don't know why Darius Slayton dropped that ball. And then they also elaborated on a couple of other good passes that Daniel Jones had. But then he talked about the interception, how it was ill-advised. It's the same stuff that we brought up here about how you just do not throw when everybody's moving laterally like that unless you're 100% certain. He was trying to hit the back shoulder of Ingram. Ingram didn't sit. Easy interception. You just can't make that mistake. That's a boneheaded mistake that Daniel Jones tried to not make down the stretch of last season. But we saw that happen last season as well. And then he also talked about the out route to Dante Pettis that was almost intercepted. But then he also brought up the out route to Sterling Shepard that was really, really well-timed. And this is the frustrating thing about Daniel Jones is we still see a lot of these inconsistencies within his game where he can show you flashes and reasons to believe, and then he'll make those boneheaded mistakes. And it's boneheaded mistakes that end up killing your chances to win football games, specifically when you're turning the football over. And then also missing wide-open reads like the Devontae Booker one. Yeah, the, the pocket was collapsing. On top of him, the, the protection was horrendous, but still you, you got to be quicker with your processing there. So I thought Schofield did a good job breaking down most of those plays. I didn't get a chance to watch Baldy's breakdown quite yet, but I did do a breakdown of Andrew Thomas's surrendered sack against Josh, Josh Uche on the uh, first drive of the game. That's on the YouTube page, so go check that out. Yeah, definitely check out the YouTube page for Nick's analysis on Andrew Thomas. Baldy's analysis just basically showed a little bit more of the same. Basically, that Thomas is struggling again with issues that plagued him at the beginning of last season, as far as oversetting, as far as not doing a good job of uh, letting kind of those pass rushers get up the arc. Listen, Uche's an okay player, but he ain't that good, and the Giants are about to face a slew of pass rushers who are better than Uche. And so he's got to get his crap together fast, Thomas. What I took out from Baldy's breakdown was that missed pass to Devontae Booker by Jones. And I mean, listen, I saw people on Giants Twitter defending the Jones interception. That, to me, is just disgusting stuff. That's an indefendable interception. There's no, oh, this should have happened. That No, no, no. That was a terrible decision, as you just broke down. Only a homer would defend that, and he's made too many of those throughout his career. It's his biggest Achilles flaw, and it's an okay flaw to have if you're Eli Manning. You can fit, ball into, fit balls into tight windows, and you could take chances with your arm and come through on them. But it's not an okay decision to make when you're not making big plays with your arm. 
And so that needs to change. That's obvious. But my bigger problem is the processing stuff, Nick, because the turnovers might just be a part of Jones's game. But if he can speed up his processing and hit Booker on that pass or you know get the ball out faster in a lot of spots, he's going to be a better quarterback than what he is right now. But one thing that I saw again in this game when I went back and rewatched, and it's something I saw last season, Nick, and it's something I saw at Duke. And it's something that Nick Turchin, when he used to be on the podcast, specifically brought up multiple times watching his film at Duke, multiple times watching his 2019 film with Shermer. It's a problem that a quarterback should fix by year three right now. And Jones continues to burp the baby. It's something he has not gotten rid of completely. I don't know if the coaches are harping on this enough or if he can even stop this. But when you're doing that, it's continuing to every time I see him do it, it throws off the timing of the play. It's that little half second to put the ball back into your left hand and reset it. Wow. You hear from quarterback coaches all the time. The best quarterbacks are the ones who get in the habit of keeping two hands on the ball to avoid having to burp the baby or to get into the habit of burping the baby. What do you think of that? I mean, what are your thoughts on a quarterback still having this issue this deep into his career? And it's not that deep, but through two, you know, two years of football, it's pretty deep. So burping the baby, for those that don't know, just it's when you have the football in one hand and then you pat it with your other hand. So that's what Dan means when he's talking about burping the baby. We, Mark Schofield talks about it a lot. And to me, it just means that he's a little bit, um, he's just not as confident maybe as he should be. And he's also just waiting on routes to materialize, maybe locking in a little bit too much rather than going through progressions and finding things when they're not there. It's a lot of a processing type of thing. And it, it is a habit because you sit there and you just kind of wait and then you just pat the ball, pat the ball, and then you release it. It kind of leads to you holding on to the football a little bit too long. I just think it all comes down to Daniel Jones getting off that first read if it's not there, not kind of waiting to see if players are open yeah, he does it sometimes, but there are times like that Darius Slayton throw where he gets the football out of his hand before the receiver breaks, like he did there with Slayton. Slayton was just entering his break. The football was already out of Jones' hand. And then, you know what? By the time the ball was there, it seemed like Slayton was turned around for about a second. I, that was a really weird drop by Darius Slayton. I know he's kind of struggled with that last season as well, but I wouldn't necessarily put that one on Daniel Jones. But to me, it comes down to sort of a lack of confidence and then just – the fact that he's he's taking a little bit too long to kind of see what the defense what the defense is doing and how the offense reacts to it or what the offense is doing and how the defense reacts to it. Yeah, that's fair. That's a totally fair. Oh, sorry about that. I got a couple drafts going on for CBS Sports. So you might have heard that you are on the clock notification. Just deal with it. We will leave it at that. No more fantasy talk. We promise. Please don't drop our ratings and reviews. But Nick. Yeah, I mean, listen, it is what it is with Jones. I need to start seeing a lot of improvement from him only. I got, you know, there's a lot of talk I've had on Twitter lately, and people are like, you know, you just can't evaluate Jones with this offensive line with Garrett, and I just don't see it that way. I think you can evaluate Jones. I don't think Justin Herbert had a really bad situation last year and looked good. There's a lot of things you can show as a quarterback that give signs of improvement, it's mainly from the things that you just went over, and we've been going over a lot, processing, speeding up the processing, but also Things that you went over at the beginning of this evaluation, not making those boneheaded turnovers over and over. He's had so many turnovers through the first two seasons. And then he's also had a lot of fumbles that the Giants recovered that don't go down as turnovers, but are turnover worthy plays. So that needs to cut down. This, these are the things that in my mind are independent of the offensive line of the play calling. And so we'll have to see improvement there in my mind. 
this season. We really do. I don't, I'm not, like I said on the last pod, I won't have excuses for Jones after this season. It's just not the, the, the way the NFL works now, man, with these rookie contracts, you can't commit to a quarterback like a golf type because it's just going to hurt you, especially when you have two high draft picks. If the Giants are bad this year, for example, and your other option is, do we give excuses for our current quarterback or do we try to restart the rookie clock, something like the Jets did with somebody with a lot of talent at the quarterback position that could maybe take us over the top? To me, that's just a clear-cut decision. So hopefully we don't get to that point. Hopefully Jones takes a six-step forward with Galladay, with Barkley back in the mix. Tony, hopefully at some point, at this point, who knows when that's going to happen. We have no information on his injury. And hopefully we don't have that decision. But right now, still need to see a lot of signs of improvement. I think everyone agrees with that right now, at least – you and I do. So let's break down. I'm sorry. I wanted to also bring up just because we were talking about Schofield's uh, breakdown of the Daniel Jones play that that Dante Pettis out route that was almost intercepted. That's something that Jones needs to realize. He realized it pre-snap. He, he liked the leverage. It was off coverage, and that's usually a bang bang type of throw. But I feel like Jason Garrett employs that throw so much in his offense that it that it allows it to possibly be intercepted because what happens is Jones confirms a pre-snap as Schofield went over, and then he hikes the ball, sees what the leverage is right after the snap, and then Jones flashed his eyes. And we feel like Jones has done a better job flashing his eyes and holding the middle of the field safety. That's something that I feel like he did a much better job with in the second season than he did in the first season. But on this play, he held the safety for about maybe half a second and quickly came back to that out route. And when you do that on a quick bang, bang play towards the sideline, that was a boundary side throw. So it wasn't a field side throw. So it didn't have to travel a lot of space. But when you do that, man, and the cornerback reads it and sits on the route like he did, that is just a recipe for a pick six. And we've seen that happen how many times throughout the NFL. So to me, man, Jones needs to be much more careful in this Jason Garrett offense with those types of throws and those types of plays because a lot of players, are, a lot of defenders, man, are going to be sitting on that route. And, and I can already see, man, like week one or two, a, a pick six in, in, with those out routes, those speed outs that Jason Garrett loves to run in this offense as well. I completely agree with you. It was an issue for him. It's been an issue in, since Garrett took over. I think another issue that I saw a lot of turnover-worthy plays for were those quick in-breaking slants that Jones would sometimes just try to slam in there and then they get tipped up in the air. That's another thing. But this one is more defining. I think you did an excellent job there, Nick, breaking it down. I'm really happy you brought that up because – it's a tough throw to make. Like you really have to go to the, you have to go far to the outside there if you're making that throw. Because if you leave it at all inside, like he did in that game, I mean, let's be honest, that should have been an interception. That was an interception worthy. When people say turnover worthy throws, that was a turnover worthy throw of Jones, and that's two turnover worthy throws in one half of football against the Patriots, and that's been, as we've said, part of his crux, you know, something that he has to improve for sure moving forward. But let's get to this initial 53 man roster. I'm checking on Twitter right now, Nick, as we go over this. Any changes that are made to the roster, I'm going to try to get live on the show. But we're going with what we got for now, with at least what it is for now, the current Giants 53-man roster. I'm going to go over the roster, then we're going to get to the cuts, and then we're going to talk about the roster, surprise cuts, surprise people who made the roster, your thoughts exactly, Nick. Let's start by just breaking down the roster. Okay, quarterback, no surprises. Daniel Jones. Mike Glennon, this was what both Nick and I predicted. At running back, we almost hit this one, Nick. and We were close. I mean, I went back and forth before we recorded. I should have went with my gut. My gut was telling me that GMs and teams go with draft over 
uh, journeymen UDFAs like Corey Clement. And I didn't really think about it, but a, a listener of the podcast who got back to us made a good point. Maybe part of the reason they decided to cut Corey Clement and keep Gary Brightwell was that Elijah Penny is showing a little bit as a pure runner, a pure running back style prospect. And that could have been part. And he, remember, he's a former running back. So that could have been part of the decision. But what are your thoughts on the running back group? They're keeping five technically, though two are sort of fullbacks in Glepsia and Penny. And then Clement over, or I'm sorry, Brightwell over Clement. I think what the uh, fan or the listener of the show said to you is a very uh, smart point. I mean, you want to go with somebody who you drafted and maybe the Giants weren't certain that they could squeeze a guy like Gary Brightwell through waivers. That's one reason why they used a six-round pick instead of waiting for him to become a UDFA. And I think they like what they saw from Brightwell as a receiver out of the backfield. And you're right, Elijah Penny is definitely a player that has been (laughs) kind of becoming a fan favorite running the football and he does so much on special teams. I felt like he was virtually a lock for this roster. It was Gillespie that I wasn't as sure on, even though he's the main protector on punt team. They both end up making it. Corey Clement, his fumbling issues, the fact that he's a journeyman probably worked against him. I think he provides a lot of juice to the backfield and we saw that a little bit in the New England game, but he ended up being the odd man out. I'm not surprised. It's not how I had it, but I I think we made the caveat on the last podcast that we would not be shocked if Brightwell made it over Clement. Yeah, exactly. All right, tight end, no surprises here. Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph, and Caden Smith. I'm curious if you think if, I mean, the Ingram injury right now seems weird. As we've said, I mean, as I've said a bunch, we're not getting information on injuries this year. It's just not the Joe Judge way. So we don't really know what's going on with Ingram's calf injury. He's like, Judge was kind of like non-committal if he'll be ready for week one or not. I would think based on Ingram's injury history, this one will linger and he will not play in week one. Time will tell. Do you think the Giants will do anything at tight end in the next few days? I think there's definitely a possibility they could. I mean, Jacob Hollister, Ryan Izzo are two tight ends that became available. They're both have ties to Joe Judge, played with Joe Judge, won a Super Bowl with Joe Judge up in New England. I think those guys are options. I know Zach Davidson, the former Kansas State quarterback, converted to tight end, who was like six foot seven, 250 pounds. He was a rookie that was drafted, I think, in the fifth round by the Vikings. The Vikings surprisingly trying to slip in through waivers. I think he could be an interesting option as well. So there have been a few tight ends. Thad Moss, obviously the great Thad Moss from the 2019 LSU Tigers, son of Randy Moss, is another one who became available. The Giants could poke around in there if, to see if they actually like any of those players if this Evan Ingram injury is a little bit more serious than we originally anticipate. If it's not, then I I still probably wouldn't be shocked if they look around, but I'm not sure if they would actually end up pulling the trigger to bring one of those tight ends in. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see in the coming days. Wide receiver, I almost nailed this one. You were close as well. I got I got all the guys that, that made the roster, I predicted, but there was one extra one. I thought they'd go with six. They went with seven. It's Galladay, Shepard, Sladen, Tony, John Ross, Dante Pettis, and CJ Board. I think I left off Ross on my final one. I think I went with six instead of seven and left off Ross due to the injury. But they're taking a chance on that. And by the way, this probably proves to me, at least, Nick, that Ross's injury is not that serious. I don't think they would keep him if it's serious, unless it's short-term IR worthy and they'll revert him to the short-term IR, free up a roster spot, and then kind of do that, that little tricky game that we're going to see with some players in the coming days. What are your thoughts on the wide receiver group? I guess, were you surprised by, I know you had David Sills on your final roster, so were, were you surprised by them cutting Sills? Do you think that Sills will make it to the practice squad? 
I think he probably will make it to the practice squad. He could land on his feet, but again, I think he's more of just a traditional wide receiver, doesn't add as much value on special teams. I'm not surprised that he didn't. I think a lot of people around Giants Twitter were really uh, clamoring for him to make to make the squad, but CJ Board, Dante Pettis, they just offer a little bit more value, whereas Sills is somebody who is kind of just a a, a good backup receiver, but what is he going to do for you on special teams? So I wasn't shocked that he didn't end up making it. I was pulling for him, but these kind of things happen. But I do believe somebody's going to get reverted to the IR just because the Giants also released their long snapper, Casey Kreider, and right. they're going to activate him once he gets through waivers, presuming that he gets through waivers, which I'm sure the Giants expect that he will. So somebody's getting reverted to the IR. I'm not sure if it's John Ross either. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, for me, not a big surprise with Sills. I... I think he's going to, you know, a listener's like, oh, you think he'll make it through the practice squad? I don't even think there's a chance anyone's going to claim him to their final 53. That's my personal opinion. I don't see too much value to having David Sills on the roster. I'll, I'll go on the record as saying that. I don't think he'll be able to separate at the NFL level, and he offers nothing on special teams in my mind. So at that type of player, I just don't see too much value. I get it. He's a big body. He's probably good in contested catch situations, but you have to have some level of separation to your game to have any chance in the NFL. And I know he's done it against these backup defensive backs and in practice against some of the starters, but it's a very different ball game when you're going against weekly starting NFL quarterbacks and in real games, not practices. So for me, I don't, I don't, it's, it's kind of if, if or there, if he makes through the practice squad, but I think he will make the practice squad. So I think it'll be fine there. Let's get to the line. Big moves on the line that we just went over. They're rolling right now, Nick, with eight. Last year, they went into the first initial uh, roster with nine. I'm curious how many th- of these eight you think will stick. It's Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, and Nate Solder. It's Will Hernandez, Shane Lemieux, and Ben Bredesen. And it's Gates and Billy Price. I think all of them stick, man. I think all eight will end up sticking on this roster. None of them are really a, a huge surprise after the Giants just traded for Price and Bredesen. Now, the Lemieux situation with the injury, we kind of you know talked about that a lot earlier in the podcast. Not 100% certain what's going on there. Wouldn't be shocked if the Giants look to add nine if they are uncertain about Shane Lemieux's injury. But as of right now, I think these eight are locked in. Yeah, I think you nailed it. And I'll be honest, Nick, I really feel a lot better about just if we're not talking starters right now, let's just say we're talking only backup offensive linemen, whoever those end up being. Let's say maybe Lemieux ends up being one or not. I feel so much better about the backup offensive linemen today than I did on Sunday when I watched the Giants or two weeks ago in that in that preseason game against the Jets where they just looked terrific or in the joint practices where people were like you know they're putting offensive line they're putting coaches on the offensive line they have no depth I feel better I still have a ton of concerns about the starters unfortunately now I have a little bit more concern about the left tackle position than I was hoping to have I have obvious concerns at right tackle obvious concerns at left guard though I actually weirdly feel a little bit better now about left guard now they have Bredesen than I do about left tackle at some to some extent like I'm starting to get just a little bit concerned about Thomas, just be, especially because it's so much harder for him than any other player on this roster. Like They're going to put him on an island more than any player on the entire offensive line. They're expecting so much out of Thomas, and it's a tough like expectation. He's, you know, he's going to have to do a lot there, and he's going to have to have a lot of snaps where it's just him out there on the island, making a good block and pass protection, holding up for Daniel Jones. So what are your initial thoughts on that kind of take right now that I feel better about the, do you feel any better about the depth and versus the starters right now? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's hard not to after adding Billy Price and Ben Bredesen, both young guys who could offer a lot of value if their if their development takes to the right curve and that they if they stay healthy. And Ben Bredesen, man, I mean, in college, the guy only allowed two sacks his entire career, over 1,500 pass blocking reps. I mean, that's really good. Only one of them was on a true pass set, according to Pro Football Focus. So this is a player who did not make a lot of mistakes in Big Ten football. And, I, you know, I, I feel much more confident about it. And you're right, man, with Andrew Thomas. And he's going to have to be on an island, dude. And that, that that's something that isn't a surprise to a lot of us. But it's not great, the fact that the player who has to be on an island has struggled to protect his inside and has struggled to protect his outside on multiple different occasions. I mean, this tackle position, we thought it was going to be the interior offensive line. It looks like the Giants shored that up with depth that could end up starting over some of the guys who are the projected starters. But now I look at that tackle position, and I don't know if the Giants are done uh, finding bodies to, to bring into that tackle position. And I don't know if they're going to find anybody who's going to be able to be as valuable as Ben Bredesen or Billy Price maybe for the Giants this year. I would guess that they, you know, it's unfortunate, but I would guess that they are done and tackled. There's just, in my mind, no tackle right now on the wire or via trade that could offer anything for this season. That's just not how the NFL works. There's a massive tackle shortage. And you, I'm not saying you're saying the opposite, but I yeah. can see that maybe they try to poke around if they can get someone really good. But who's trading anyone better than Solder and Parrot right now? And the sad thing is, like... <laughs> We don't want to go too low on these guys, but maybe there are guys who could perform better right now than Solder and Parrot. But I just if they if they continue to struggle potentially, I guess. But I, I don't know. I just I just don't see it. I think this tackle spot is something that's going to have to continue to be looked at week in, week out. And if Parrot doesn't show a lot this season, that's going to, again, be a massive priority in my mind for the next offseason. Yeah, no, you're looking at guys like Michael Schofield, who was yeah. on the Chargers last year and Car- or Carolina last year and was on the oh, Chargers. So from tw- I, exactly. Those are the players that you're looking for. And I know he's like 30 years old, so he's not all that old, but his career uh, arc is definitely going downward right now. There's just not a lot of tackles who aren't going to make or good tackles, I should say, that aren't going to make the final roster of teams. But it's such a rare position to be over 300 pounds, be able to kick into space and block athletes that are, you know, 60 pounds less than you. It's it's tough. Yeah, it's tough, but this is the situation they're in. Hopefully they look better in the regular season than the preseason. Hopefully, like we said, the run game helps to make it look better. The scheme, which <laughs> obviously there's a little less hope on that from that front on the scheme helping the offensive line, but Daniel Jones can play a role as well. All right, special teamers for now, just Gano and Dixon, like you said, they'll move Kreider back in. Someone will go on IR and that will open up that spot. Now the defense. Start with the interior guys. Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Danny Shelton, Austin Johnson, and Raymond Johnson. These were five of the six that I got here. I did miss on BJ Hill. Obviously he was traded. What are your thoughts on this group? I love this group. This is arguably the deepest group on the roster other than possibly safety, which all four of them are, I would say solid to good starters. But I mean, you have a bunch of different body types here and it's going to allow Patrick Graham to do a lot of different things. You have Danny Shelton, who's that true nose, eats the A gaps, forces everybody to kind of move around him, can eat multiple blocks. Austin Johnson can also play the nose. I, I don't think he's as much of a space eater as someone like Danny Shelton, but you can also use Austin Johnson as a four eye or a three technique in tight front. You could put him as a two-eye technique if, if you uh, on the inside shoulder of the guard. 
uh, in nickel situations and pass rush situations now that BJ Hill isn't there. And then obviously Leonard Williams, incredibly long, disruptive player. You can line up at any position along the defensive line. Dexter Lawrence, gigantic guy with deceptive athletic ability. And now there's Raymond Johnson, the third character, who is about like 270, 275 pounds. So he's a lot lighter than these other players, but you can line him up on the edge in certain situations if you really need to. And he can definitely be a one technique that you try to use his quickness in third and long situations to penetrate and create interior pressure. I think this group is the one that you can get most excited about, but it's a defensive line group, which isn't necessarily the most exciting position or the position that you want to be, I guess you could say the best because you really want if you want your best position you want it to be obviously your starting quarterback your offensive line your corners but hell it's a good problem to have I guess it is a good problem to have and it's one of the you know the Giants have done a good job of building out good problems to have on this with this group with the safeties which we'll get to they're starting to build out a nice deep roster on the defensive side of the ball and that's something that you know has me excited and we'll get to the next group the linebackers which we also nailed I mean Martinez Crowder, Ragland, Coughlin. These were the four we nailed. They didn't keep Devontae Downs, a personal, you know, <laughs> whipping boy of the Big Panther podcast. Uh, after David Mayo's departure, he was the, the rem- last remaining inside backer whipping boy. Nobody we ever wanted to see on the field. And, you know, again, anything interesting to you with this group? I mean, we nailed it, so we called these guys, so I don't think it's going to be too many surprises. But what do you make of this group right now? I think it's better than what they had in 2020. It's, I would say it's better than what we had in 2020. I mean, Devontae Downs and David Mayo played significant snaps, and nobody wanted to see that in 2020. So it's um, I, there's really not much analysis to give into this group. This is the group that I think a lot of people projected, a lot of people expected. And kudos to Carter Coughlin to really pick up the position and kind of really um, – learn the nuances of it. I'm like I said, I think two podcasts ago, I'm not going to be shocked if we start seeing him play a lot of nickel personnel packages, big dime personnel packages, maybe even sometimes as an edge, you can just do a lot of different things with his versatility. No doubt about it. Let's get to the next group. The edge guys, Lorenzo Carter, Aziz Ojolari, O'Shane Ziminens, Trent Harris. We both missed that one. Ellerson Smith, who we'll see what happens with that. Maybe he goes on some kind of IR and Cam Brown. We hit all of these, but Trent Harris, I believe, did you have Trent Harris? You might have had Harris. Did you have him? I did not have Harris. Okay. I'm not shocked, though, that he ended up making it because a lot of a lot of the people on the beat were talking about how he's impressed so much. We know his uh, experience with Patrick Graham's defense. He played with him a little bit down there in Miami, and I guess he just outworked Ifedi Odenabo and, and players like that. So, I mean, kudos to to Trent Harris, honestly. Yeah, no doubt about it. Not a surprise if you just kind of went by who was the camp hero, who was the guy showing out, which was the same about somebody like Sills. But I think at least Harris has a little bit more projection for the next level against starters when you're actually facing the starters. So I'm, I'm excited about to see what he can bring. Cornerbacks, this one we sort of got right because we both figured Beal would initially make the roster and then kind of be potentially the first cut. But one surprise for sure here was Josh Jackson, who they just traded for making the roster. So it's Josh Jackson, Beal, Crossan, who we said, Williams, who we said, and obviously the big three with Holmes, uh, Dory Jackson, Bradbury, and pup list for Aaron Robinson. Really unfortunate start to his career with the Giants, but hopefully it's just a blip in a what's otherwise strong career. What are your thoughts on kind of going both Beal and Jackson here? Jackson's injured. He can't actually be the player that they try to slip onto the IR, but I'm not really entirely certain. But this would probably be the biggest surprise just because we haven't seen Jackson. The item was traded. We get the Giants end up 
you know, acquiring Josh Jackson, a player who had high draft pedigree, second round pick out of the University of Iowa, but who has let down the majority of his career in Green Bay. A lot of Green Bay fans and people who follow that team that I know just spoke so low on Josh Jackson, but the Giants see something in this player and we haven't gotten to see it yet on the field. So maybe he's the guy who gets put on IR. I think it's I guess you could say surprising just because we haven't seen him, <laughs> but uh, I don't expect to see him playing on the defense come week one, week two. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I wouldn't expect him to be playing, but I think it's a little bit of, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't know who will stick of these two, if any will stick, but these guys to me are the most naturally gifted of those back-end corner types. Like, my, like Harper, like we, you don't keep somebody like Harper over these guys in my mind because there's just limited upside there. And let's turn over to the safeties, the final group. Again, no surprise. Man, we came really close to nailing every single player on this 53. So kudos to us. We'll take a victory lap. Just kidding, though. We don't take victory laps on this podcast, but we're going to take a minor victory lap there. I don't care. Taking a little victory lap. We nailed the safeties here. Peppers, Ryan, McKinney, Love, anything to add on the safeties? No, I mean, I, I didn't expect Chris Johnson to make the final roster. Uh, I think all four of these safeties are, are invaluable to what Patrick Graham wants to do. Let's hope everyone stays healthy, knocking on wood and everything, because even players like Julian Love are going to have a lot of value this season. Yep. All right. Any other final thoughts on the overall 53-man roster or what you expect to see within the roster in the coming days or anything regarding this initial announcement of the roster? I expect it to be very fluid. Like you said earlier, I think by the time people listen to this podcast, the Giants could claim some people and then we could see players like possibly Josh Jackson or maybe even a Sam Beal be shown the door, possibly even a Trent Harris. But that's not necessarily something that's going to happen. It just depends on who other teams released and if the Giants pro scouting department feel like they could provide value back to the Giants. Because the Giants, I mean, positions, if... We could talk about positions that they may look to invest in. I mean, boundary cornerback comes to my mind, as does offensive tackle and tight end. Do you think linebacker could be one of those positions as well, or do you think they believe enough in Carter Coughlin? I think they potentially believe enough in Coughlin that they'll be fine there. What I think is interesting, and this one's kind of a bit of a breaking news that just came across the wire 42 seconds ago from beat reporter Zach Rosenblatt. He said, Nate Ebner visit the Giants today, and he said, and this is a beat reporter reporting this. So he said he would expect him to sign with the team if healthy. So that'll be interesting where Ebner fits in. They obviously already have five guys at safety, but you know, loves kind of that convert that, that Jack of all trades. So you can kind of put in either spot. Maybe that leads to the release of a Beal, the release of a Josh Jackson, something of that nature. Calling Gillespie, yeah. yeah. Or Gillespie. Exactly. So that would be the only thing that stands out to me right now, Nick. Other than that, uh, let's just say, Excited, again, about this roster, especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially now with some improvements potentially coming to the offensive side of the ball. But we got to see it all on paper. We need to see this offense take a big step forward and improve. For now, that's it for the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. No new iTunes reviews and questions. Remember, leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Help us get over 1,000. That's the goal for this season. Over 1,000 reviews on iTunes. We're about 350 away one we got from a new one, but no question, was from ASPAD75. Said it's the best Giants pod out there. Jan and Nick do an incredible job breaking down the Giants. They want to t- they watch a ton of film to analyze the club and do a great job of explaining the layman, uh, explaining in layman's terms. So thank you for that review. If you have a question, edit it in. We'll get to it on the next podcast. Otherwise, guys, please check out our 
YouTube page, Big Blue Banter. Search it. You'll see the logo. You'll know it's us. Nick just put up an excellent video breaking down Andrew Thomas. You'll want to see that before week one with both Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on their way. Though we'll probably see more of Bradley Chubb in that example. But who knows? Things could change. They can mix and match there. Also, follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. That's our name, but with NY in front of it. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.